Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the mobile home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam 75 South Dingman, and this is your happy co-pilot, Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. How are y'all doing? We are killing it down here at spring training, y'all. We are coming to you live from 75 South. Are we on 75 South? I think we're on 75 North. Um, I'd like to amend my nickname. Uh, I'd like to go with Sam Chocolate Donut Dingman. Relevant. Topical. Topical nicknames. I just had a chocolate donut from a very fine local purveyor of same. We are down here in Florida. We have uh, caught two games of the Baltimore Oriole variety and are on our way right now to pick up uh, our third game and also Charles Hoppus from the Sister Wife podcast, Oriole Spastic. Spastic stand up. <laughs> now, now. You may, you may hear a few things as we as we go in this podcast here, Baltimoreans. One of those things may be honking and or other road noises. Hey, 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 hey. Do you hear that sound in the background? Here, what? Here. That's the open road, son. <laughs> now, we are currently driving a Chevy Cruze, which I suggested naming Nelson, but Alan wanted no part of that. He's got to earn that shit. <laughs> Much like Nelson Cruz with our emotional affection. He's got to earn that shit. Okay. As, a, as an opening segment here on this special spring training edition of Baltimoreans, we wanted to share with you the five weirdest things about the state of Florida. <laughs> because it's a competitive list to get on the top five here. We've, we've isolated them. I, I, want, I want to be very clear about this. In the about 56 hours we've been in state, <laughs> we have witnessed the entirety of Florida's weirdness. Yeah. And we have distilled it down to a top five. Right. So you're welcome. That's going to help you. With, whoop. Lexus just swerved <laughs> off the road. This is happening in real time, folks. <laughs> um, okay. Item number one on the list of the weirdest things in Florida. Should we, uh, should we call this the Rick Scott Florida <laughs> Report? <laughs> sure. Why not? Sure, sure. Charlie Crist? Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio? The let's Marco go, Rubio. Let's go with the Marco Rubio Florida Report. The Marco Rubio Florida Report. Item number one is replacement level Floridians. You know, there's a there's a series of cliches that we northerners have about uh, what is what goes on down here in Florida. But at our second game yesterday with the New York Yankees, we met what what is actually the definitional replacement level Floridian. We did. We did. Uh, we were sitting next to a lady who uh, had the had the the leathery skin of uh, uh, what we've seen on many Floridians down here, indicative of far too much time spent in the sun. Slow roasting. 
And so we're watching the game, and she's sitting there, and there would be a foul ball, and she would periodically make remarks like, uh, oh, that that one, that's out of play. <laughs> or there would be a ground ball, and the third baseman would field it, and she'd be like, yep, he got it. <laughs> Which, I'm, I'm laying groundwork here, but I think the, the way you, you can best interpret the... That is the we fuel level low. <laughs> we may have to interrupt the broadcast here in a moment, ladies and gentlemen. A little bit of a pit stop. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she was making these observations, which aren't untrue. Nothing she was saying is wrong, but it's also not interesting. Right. So, you know, it's a, it's it was what you would call replacement level baseball commentary. Yes. So keep that characterization in your minds as we continue to talk about this woman. Not wrong but not interesting. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give myself away as somebody who gets a bit excited at baseball games. Uh, and earlier in the game, because Alan and I had had a, a bit of a late departure in the morning from our hotel, more on that later, um, I had uh, I'd been drinking some coffee in the stands. So I was yelling about something, and she turned to me and she said, no more coffee for you. <laughs> and I was like, zing, fair enough. Fair enough. And she said, you know, you're just like my husband. He likes to drink hot coffee on a hot day as well. I, I said, whatever you say to that. I think I said, is that so? Is that right? <laughs> so then she took that as her cue to give me the life story. Sure. And Got here, to. And here's the life story. She said, I am a snowbird, <laughs> which is not a term I'd heard uh, self-applied before. <laughs> I always thought that was sort of a uh, stuck-up northeastern derogatory term. But um, she says, uh, oh, I, I just live in Florida six months and one day out of every year, so I can maintain the citizenship. But, you know, my husband, he's still the CEO of his company back in New Jersey. So he's always able to, and then she put up finger quotes, invent a meeting that we need to go up there for. So that's how we keep the house up there. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, then we're we're down here periodically, and and that's pretty nice. Come out and see some games. You know, I don't really, I don't pay a lot of attention to what's going on on the field. It's just nice to come out to the park. Needless to say, at this point, she is a Yankees fan. <laughs> <laughs> but you probably had figured that out already. She then uh, she then indicated her nephew, who had been sitting next to her the entire game, stony silence, just not a word coming out of this man's mouth. He was seemed bound and determined to have a terrible time. <laughs> Needless um, to say, he was also a Yankees fan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so he's sitting there, and uh, he's like, um, and, and he's not saying anything. And she says, this here is my nephew. Uh, so, so we're going to show him a pretty good time. Today we're seeing the game. Tomorrow we're going to go look at the manatees. And then on Sunday he's going to play a round of golf. And I couldn't help thinking, that all sounds just like sort of um, stock grade Florida life activities. There's no... Oh, and they're going to go to the outlet stores. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a Florida against replacement of a solid zero. Yeah, exactly. So if you've ever thought to yourself, who are those people in Florida who just, who just embody that stereotype? Uh, this lady was that Floridian. We'll be back in just a moment after we get gas. <laughs> do, do, do. And we're back. 
refueled and ready to roll. So, uh, oh, now here's a fun thing. Um, we did not get a full tank of gas because Alan is going to try to swap this car out at the... Let's not, let's not put this on air. At the rental let's, car place later let's today. Not, let's, let's, let's not confess to anything we can't, we can't then unconfess to. The reason being <laughs> that we went to the beach yesterday and we had to park in a public parking zone that had a pretty narrow alleyway. It was a tight spot. And uh, we did not do so well on the dismount. <laughs> Trying to pull Nelly the Cruz out of the parking space uh, dinged up the rear believe, bumper a little I bit. That was into the parking space, wasn't it? Oh, that might have been going into. The, actually, the dismount was flawless. <laughs> the mount was a bit flawed. The mount was was a little rough. The judges, the judges took away several points and potentially several hundred dollars. <laughs> the judges, of course, being the Hertz Rental Car Corporation. Keep up. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> Item number two on the Marco Rubio Florida report concerns, um, what was number two again? Oh, the barbershop. Alan, mm. why don't you take this one? Well, Sam and I uh, arrived down in spring training looking a little bit raggedy. Uh, we, were, we were both coming off a long winter in Brooklyn and needed a, a, a little bit of TLC to the, the hair care variety. Mm-hmm. So after watching our first game and picking up an early level of sunburn, we decided it was time to go get shorn, and in driving to where we were staying that evening, we were passing a series of barbershops. Now, eventually, we did, in fact, discover uh, one barbershop, which seemed perfect because they had a large open sign and something else saying, haircuts for only $7.99. We thought, we're not going to do better than that. That's a pretty good look for a haircut. Yeah. So we, uh, we pulled over and, and tried to go into the shopping center where these giant signs were, only to discover that the barbershop didn't appear to exist. Nope. Drove around in the parking lot for quite a while. <laughs> there were a number of other businesses. A gift shop. Yep. Uh, a pet store. A nail salon. Nail salon. A lot of those down here, too, by the way. <laughs> uh, and then we eventually did discover the barbershop, which was sort of tucked back behind three other buildings in about as shady a place as you could put a barbershop. And uh, upon rolling up to the barbershop to get our hair cut, we discovered that the door was locked. Mm-hmm. Now, this is about 4.20 in the p.m. Yep. Big and, sign on the door says, open. And there were many, many people in the barbershop who were getting their hair cut. <laughs> they appeared to be doing what I would call a bustling business. <laughs> so I don't want to suggest that this was a, uh, uh, a, a totally unsuccessful barbershop in some way, shape, or form. However... They weren't interested in cutting our hair. No, they weren't. When we knocked on the door, the gentleman arrived... Which was locked, by the way. The gentleman arrived, unlocked the door, poked his head out, and said, What can I do for you, gentlemen? <laughs> Which threw me for a bit of a loop. Because I, uh, I had assumed that there was a certain silent dance that one does at a place of business where one is assumed to want the thing that is being conveyed at said business. Especially when said business only conveys one service. (laughs) Well, you know, in hindsight, Sam, I don't think that that was true of this particular business. Yes, that's true. I think if uh, if we had had our wits about us to ask for something other than a haircut, they may have had that thing. Well, because we should back up. Here's what happened. Alan said, uh, we'd like to, we'd like to get a haircut. And the guy said, actually he kind of winced. He was like, oh, can't do that. 
can't do that. If you boys want to come through tomorrow, we might be able to. And we kind of nodded, gazed over at the hordes of people receiving haircuts, looked Looked back back at him. (laughs) The earth continued its slow trip around the sun. And we said, well, all right then. And we went back and got back in the car. And as Alan just said, we, we thought to ourselves, I think maybe if we had asked for a different thing, he would have said, yeah, come on in. We then proceeded to stop at two other uh, haircutting establishments. Right, I forgot about this. Only to discover that neither of them would cut our hair either. <laughs> Although in their defense, it was a little bit closer to closing time at the time we eventually tracked them down. So uh, it wasn't quite the same bald-faced <laughs> anti-northern hair aggression. Closing time in Florida, by the way, being apparently about 5 or 5.30. I mean, 4, 4.55, really. <laughs> You don't want to rush into anything, and you got to get back for that blue plate special. <laughs> you, you got to play to your demographic. Exactly, exactly. Which apparently uh, can be best summed up as a Floridian has already informed us: the demographic of Florida is cataracts in Cadillacs, <laughs> which uh, you know is one one more of those Florida stereotypes that seems to be holding true. Now. I don't want you people to be concerned that Alan and I did not end up getting haircuts. It's true. Because we did. The very next day, we got up early, and we made it to a, another different barbershop, which we identified by virtue of the fact that it was by the side of the road and had a blinking open sign. <laughs> which, also, uh, every barbershop in Florida seems to be marked with the same large, maybe four and a half foot tall red lettering saying, Barber. <laughs> Now, you could argue that that was the exact same thing we'd seen on the previous day when we'd been shut out, but we're not once bitten, twice shy type of cats. <laughs> so we rolled into this barbershop, and we instantly knew we were in the right place. It was it was open. So, so <laughs> they that was, didn't turn us away at the door? Didn't turn, that, was, that was our first clue. <laughs> Second clue was that it was filled with 75-year-old gentlemen... Of the type that, as near as we could tell, we're getting a haircut because it was a thing to do today. <laughs> Good way to get out of the house. Not a lot else going on on a Saturday morning. <laughs> so uh, we sat there for a while next to uh, one of the aforementioned 75-year-old gentlemen who was wearing a camouflage t-shirt. Uh, he was thumbing through the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, and when his number was called to go get his haircut, he turned to us and said... <laughs> You boys seen this? <laughs> Good stuff in here. <laughs> and handed it to us. Which, For the record, he wasn't wrong. It's generous. He's a generous fellow. <laughs> but uh, we both did manage to get our hair cut, uh, both by two um, Michiganders who were uh, expatriating down in Florida. Yep. Two a father and a son. Gave a pretty good haircut. Pretty good haircut. And the father treated me to, well, one, we had a great conversation about baseball. Uh, he told me a really great story, which I wish I'd had the presence of mind to record, uh, but you will now hear secondhand, which is that um, his uncle, apparently, was the third base prospect ahead of Brooks Robinson in the pecking order, and uh, his uncle's wife, so I guess his aunt, um, that's how that works, right? <laughs> uh, Genealogies. <laughs> 
his uncle's aunt was concerned about the amount of time that he would have had to spend away from home had he ended up playing for the Orioles and said, I don't want you doing that. So he ended up deciding abruptly to not pursue his career, leaving the door open for some nobody named Brooks Robinson <laughs> to become the number one third base prospect in the system. Now, I'm not going to say the man's lying. He seemed like a very good fella. He was definitely into sports. There was sports paraphernalia all over the place. I will say this. His son, who cut my hair, is genealogically not very connected to a starting Major League Baseball third baseman. <laughs> Looked more like a Michigan so, lumberjack. It fell pretty far from the trees, all I'm saying. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the DNA forked hard. <laughs> um... Pops also treated me to his own personal explanation for the dis disappearance of the Malaysian Airlines flight, which is, and this is a direct quote, space aliens. In his defense, uh, as we record this on the 16th of March, it's the most plausible explanation we've gotten so far. It's true. It's true. Because that shit don't make no sense. <laughs> uh, item number three on the Marco Rubio Florida report is Gare Bear. Gare Bear. Our lovely and loving host um, on the Airbnb experience, uh, Sam and I are staying, or I guess we have just left an, an apartment where we are staying uh, a little bit south of Sarasota in the, the, the home of a uh, very interesting gentleman. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Gare Bear greeted us. Well, for one thing, Gare Bear lives on... Uh, in a, a fairly Stepford Wivesy golf community um, of uh, Rambler style homes, um, which was we just had a devil's of a time finding. <laughs> and once we got there, we walk in, and he had advertised it on Airbnb as like a bunkhouse behind his house. There was a picture of a pool, um, and it, it sort of looked like we were going to have our own space. Well, come to find out, <laughs> it was actually a shared space with the Gare Bear himself. Sure. Gare Bear uh, had apparently broken his toe... Earlier that morning. ...cleaning for us, so he, he greeted us with blood spurting from his foot. <laughs> and was like, oh, just, just, just a crazy morning. Uh, broke my toe doing the cleaning, prompting us to wonder, what... <laughs> you did not have to clean that vociferously. <laughs> Um, then he said, oh, and my partner's daughter was in an accident, so she's not here, prompting us to wonder, um, what's the, what's the dynamic <laughs> with this family structure here? This is clearly not your kid, because you'd be worried about the accident. Anyway, um, and then he showed us, uh, there was a pool, and, um, some, a liquor bar, and a very nicely appointed kitchen, and then he explained, now, none of the, you guys can't use any of this stuff. <laughs> Your room is in the back. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the entire experience was not exactly um, what we thought we were getting on Airbnb, but it was quite nice. I do wish we would have been able to use the karaoke machine. There was a karaoke... <laughs> so, so here's the thing about Gare Bear. Um, we, we come back after... Ha we check in or whatever. We come back uh, the first night after seeing our first game and going off and doing various things. Um, and we discover that Gare Bear... Ha is nowhere to be found, but the pool, which is literally in the back room of his house in a screened-in area, the door to that area is open. There's a neon light in the bottom of the pool, 
casting a sort of, like, I dare you to jump in and swim in me sort of glow. <laughs> He's also got some lamps on with blue, neon blue light bulbs in them. And Alan turned to me and said, I think Gare Bear likes to get down. <laughs> but it was confusing because it was set up in such a way as to suggest that he wanted us to avail ourselves of the uh, Carlo Rossi wine that he had <laughs> there in the larder and the glowing pool and perhaps some of the karaoke selections. But we had been told that that was not part of what we had rented. <laughs> All very confusing. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I do want to say that he was actually a lovely host. and Oh, just, just um, wonderful. Had one of those, you know, clearly should always have been running an Airbnb gift for gab type, type personality. So we did appreciate the time we spent at uh, uh, Castle de Gerbert. Um, but item number four on the list mm. has to do with the beach, the uh, beachfrontish community in which the house was located. Yes, because Sam and I did. Uh, we went for a little walk uh, around the garden, <laughs> around the grounds, if you will, uh, on the first night we were there, and immediately discovered that we were in a highly patrolled, <laughs> lockdown sort of facility. <laughs> Uh, in which there was no lights, happiness, joy, or sound of human life. So as we as we started this walk, it occurred to me that we are in Stand Your Ground country. <laughs> and it also occurred to me that we were in the kind of quiet, serene subdivision where uh, that kind of thing can become dangerous. <laughs> and as I, literally, as I said this to Alan, we heard a pop echoing in the distance, which could have been a firework, and I hope it was a firework, <laughs> but it wasn't followed by the sound of any other fireworks, so that's a data point. <laughs> then, mere moments later, and I'm not making this up, a Honda Accord with a piece of paper with the words Neighborhood Watch written on it literally drove by us slowed down, gave us a stinky eyeball, <laughs> then continued down the road, made a U-turn, came back, gave us a second stinky eyeball, and then continued on its way. Thankfully, we were white. <laughs> and so we dodged that bullet. <laughs> that's, that's the terrible truth of the matter. <laughs> Whew. Good work on that one. Okay. <laughs> Finally, item number five on the Marco Rubio Florida Report is uh, an institution called the Fellowship of Orioles. This is uh, this was probably the, the one of the bigger discoveries I think of the entire trip, and is the first time we've mentioned the Orioles on this episode. <laughs> no, no, we said something about going to a game. Right? Oh, that's right, that's right. All right okay, good. Uh, <laughs> the but the Fellowship of the Orioles doesn't actually have anything to do with your Baltimore Orioles. No, 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 no. This is. Uh, this is an age-old community organization, over 100 years old, in yeah, fact. Formed we, in uh, 19, August of 1910. We were driving down 75 South, and I looked over to the side of the road, and I saw a sign that said Orioles on it. And I was like, hey, Alan, Alan, look. Uh, but it wasn't the Orioles logo. It was written in a kind of weird, old, um, kind of falling-apart font. It also wasn't 75 South, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, 41 West. 13, uh, 13 East. We were on a road. 
And uh, I was like, oh, Alan, look, an Orioles thing. Because, because it said uh, a fellowship of Orioles and it was painted bright Orioles orange. Yeah. So we thought, oh, maybe that's like a bunch of people who are fans of the team and, you know, live down in the area um, and have this, what is this, a bar? Let's, let's go in and check it out. So Alan pulls it up on Wikipedia and uh, the Wikipedia page actually says that it is uh, an age-old community organization founded in the woods of Reading, Pennsylvania, uh, and that the officership includes, I believe it's a wizard and a grand wizard, did it say? Um, I believe there was a nest and a, uh, or a subservient and a something other nest. Yeah. So we thought this is either a really, really fun group of kooky old baseball fans or possibly a, a secret white supremacy group. <laughs> so we debated for a moment, should we go in with the recorder and see if we can talk to some kooky old Orioles fans? And we decided we'd give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But then as we got closer, and we heard the white snake blaring louder and louder from the back <laughs> of the bar, and smelled more and more of the cigarette smoke, we started to get a little nervous. And then we got to the door and we looked in. And have you ever seen one of those movies where uh, a couple of misfits walk in, and there's a record needle scratch sound? <laughs> it's full-on biker bar. <laughs> That's what happened. And we got scared and ran away. <laughs> This concludes your Marco Rubio <laughs> Florida report. We'll continue in just a moment. And we're back. <laughs> I love doing that because you have no reason to think that we left. <laughs> right. And it's not, it's not like there was a commercial break. No, really no no break at all. But uh, we're going to keep talking at you. Yep. Um, because, you know, we have now talked for probably 15 minutes, as is our custom. Yeah. Without really mentioning any baseball. Right. Um, but there has been some baseball. Just a bit. And even some delightful baseball. And uh, we have a couple of observations for you. As the the, uh, the the information hungry Baltimoreans that we know you all are, so we've uh, we've seen two games so far, as we've mentioned a couple times, and are going to see our third one today. And I would say uh, there have been a number of very exciting things. One of them is that we got to see the first pitches in an Oriole uniform by Mr. Suckman Yoon, which was um, which was really cool. I really enjoyed seeing him play. Um, he was a little bit underwhelming, I would say. Yeah. Not because he, I mean, he, you know, uh, gave up one hit and, uh, then got, I believe, retired the next three batters. Yep. Mm -hmm. But he was throwing hard, but throwing very straight. It was extremely straight. And we can tell you that, ladies and gentlemen, because that was the half inning where we were sitting literally right behind home plate. Right. Um... And so you could see his fastball coming in, and it was cool because you could hear the seams whistling, um, but you could also see the very straight plane on which the ball was traveling. And he got hit hard. Um, yeah. I think of the uh, over the course of the three batters that he did retire, there was a couple of, of well-struck balls, one of which Delman Young, I believe, had tracked down just past the warning track. So yeah, it, it was he looked okay. Um, but I didn't. I didn't f suddenly feel as though we had a dominant 
guy here on our hands. Now, the reason that I think this hard contact should be somewhat troubling is because, though this was a game against the New York Yankees, this was the New York Yankees C squad. <laughs> uh, watch not, out for Kyle Roller and Dan O'Brien. <laughs> it was not um, a murderer's row, and they were hitting him pretty good. Yeah. But, you know, it was also the first time he'd ever been facing live MLB batters of any variety and stripes, so probably had the adrenaline going and maybe he was overthrowing a little bit um, in trying to, to get that first inning under his belt. We've also gotten to see quite a bit of young Jonathan Scope, who played uh, all uh, eight innings of the first game we saw and the first six, I believe, of the one yesterday. Initial observations about Jonathan Scope, I would say, are one, he's a big boy. He is a big boy. So watching Jonathan Scope, very exciting. You can, uh, he definitely plays with a lot of intensity. That's very fun to see. Um, he's always hopping around out there in the infield, so that's cool. Which, you know, Brian Roberts, I think, especially as he got older, developed a certain, some would call it serenity, some would call it laziness. <laughs> um, but Scope clearly wants, wants to be out there, so that's pretty fun to watch. And I did not realize, we keep on obliquely referring to him being a big boy, but he is he is six foot three, two thirty, and he's built like a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, he would not look out of place uh, either at first base or if he were, say, a power forward for a starting a starting power forward for a uh, a, a D one college basketball team. Very long arms, which I think unfortunately results in a little bit of a long batting stroke. Um, we have seen him, I would say, over the course of eight at bats. We've seen him look amazing, uh, f I would say, five times and very bad three times. Uh, his first three times up in the game we saw against the Twins, he made very hard contact, pulled the ball with very loud authority to left field. Uh, I believe he had two singles and a double. Um, and, and then, then look really just got embarrassed by the, uh, the Twins' closer. Mr. Glenn Perkins. Um, you know, I think four pitches and a strikeout. Yeah. So the main thing, the main things I think uh, our takeaways from that is uh, against Mike Pelfrey, who started that first game for the Twins, who does not have really overwhelming velocity um, and doesn't really work off speed that much, Scope was able to really square up the fastball. However, when Glenn Perkins came in and started throwing 94, uh, he got it by Scope with ease. And then in the game yesterday against Vidal Nuno, not exactly a world beater, um, Nuno was throwing a lot of sliders and uh, change-ups, off-speed stuff, and Scope was way out in front of everything, and clearly looked like he had made up his mind to swing. Basically, when Nino went into his or Nuno went into his leg kick, um, which is obviously not the kind of that is the kind of plate discipline we're used to in Baltimore. It's not the kind of plate discipline we need in Baltimore. <laughs> um, the only other thing we can say about young Jonathan. Uh, is that there was a moment when he hit a was it a, he hit a double or did he end up on second base? He hit a double. He hit a double yesterday, um, and Brian Roberts came over and patted him on the butt, and it was very interesting to see what I hope is generations of second baseman past and generations of second baseman future. Um, also, it was funny to see that Brian Roberts is a tiny, tiny little man <laughs> when compared to the mammoth <laughs> Jonathan Scope. Now, I did bring my, uh, the recorder that we're recording this on to the game yesterday to try to record the crowd's response to Brian Roberts' first at-bat. Um, 
it was less dramatic than I think Alan and I were hoping it would be. I'll play it for you. It sounded like this. All right, Brian. All right. Tepid. Tepid. Tepid response. Kind of like Brian's demeanor as and, the years have gone on. And then the other two at-bats, literally nothing. Lit- no sound at all. Crickets. It, yeah. Might as well have been uh, Yankees uh, prospect Ben Gamble, <laughs> who roped one off Yoon. <laughs> Although I will say this. There's a certain reality of a bunch of Northerners coming to Florida to watch a baseball game that happens in a probably the fifth or sixth inning when everybody just gets totally sun-stunned. And they can't really think, and there's not a lot of reactions going on. Nope. And uh, basically, the game's just kind of playing out in front of a slack-jawed bunch of idiots. <laughs> um, At least thing... that was my experience. <laughs> <laughs> another thing that's been very exciting to see, uh, the expertise of Alan Smith validated and vindicated in the form of Chris Davis. Uh, Chris Davis, who uh, we had a, a pretty healthy debate about on last week's episode, is looking very good so he, far. He looks, um, and this is, you know, the, for those of you who didn't happen to catch that episode, we were talking about the fact that Chris Davis, um, Sam was worried that the pressure on Chris Davis to hit all of the dingers and to lead the team might get him back to the Chris Davis of old, which was pushing too hard, trying too hard, and ending up sort of thinking himself out of his just silky smooth sweet swing. Yep. Um, but so far, <laughs> at least as as far as spring training is 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 any indicative pattern of anything ever, which it may not be, he looks great. He looks relaxed. He's talking to all the other players. He's, you know, going over and chatting with uh, the third base coach during during between innings. Got a big um, smile on his face. Big smile. He's just stroking the ball in the one game we saw. He had a double and a, uh, uh, a mammoth dead to center home run that was one of those like, yep, that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as it came off the bat. <laughs> and it's really nice to see him going the other way. The double was uh, to left field and was just you just saw him... Uh, adjust effortlessly to a breaking ball low and away and just reach out and barrel it into left field. Uh, and then, as Alan said, he just stroked this home run to uh, dead center, maybe just slightly left of dead center, which, to me, is the kind of thing that he was doing so well in the early going last year and stopped doing towards the end of the year when he maybe started to push a little bit too hard. So right now it looks like his head is in the right place and my, my nerves are calmed. This is, uh, of course, prognosticating over um, six hours of observation. <laughs> yeah, and, and two, uh, three at-bats. <laughs> three at-bats. So I would say it is um, pretty much take it to the bank. Yeah. But if he has another year of hitting the ball the other way and showing improved plate discipline, you heard it here first. <laughs> <coughs> Most valuable player. Um, so a couple other quick notes. Zach Britton came in through a couple innings, or maybe just one inning. Looks just pretty one, good. Yeah. Um, throwing the ball hard. I think he hit 97 at one point. Yep. Um, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Uh, I am going to go ahead and start the Zach Britton as sixth starter bandwagon. Okay. Although I'm not sure where his, uh, how many options he has left or whether that's even a, a feasible thing. But uh, he's looking good, and I would be happy to continue to ride the Zach Britton train. Well, that's, um, a, that's a very interesting thing because he's actually one of our guys who's out of options. Uh, so he can't so be sent to, down. We have to put him in the bullpen. So we either got to put him in the bullpen, make him the swingman, like you're saying, or we need to trade him. 
Um, and so one of the things that has been, as all of you guys already know, obviously, because you read Rock Kabatko also, <laughs> uh, you've seen that he's a guy who we have been perhaps dangling a little bit behind the scenes uh, to see if we might be able to get anything in return for a trade. But given the way that he w- w- has thrown this spring and uh, the way we saw him throw yesterday, if he could be a Tommy Hunter type of guy who you shift in to the bullpen, he all of a sudden finds a little bit more velocity, can work off the sinker more effectively uh, because he doesn't have to mix things up quite as much. Maybe that means we uh, we don't have to be as reliant on Troy Patton, who's been somewhat volatile over the years, <laughs> and who obviously we don't have for the first 25 games. He he looked to me like someone who was a plus pitcher, and, um, and that has not always been my feeling about Zach Britton over the last two years. So maybe, you know, we keep him, and this turns Brian Mattis into a possible trade chip, because I think people generally view Brian Mattis as somebody who still has starter upside. Um, so intriguing work, I would say, from Zach Britton so far. That's about all we have in the uh, actual baseball facts <laughs> department. But um, Sam and I were reflecting as we were sitting sun-stunned in the <laughs> Orioles' lovely, uh, by the way, lovely park. Oh, my God. Ed, Ed Smith. Smith. That, woof. Your yes, legacy it is. is strong, sir. It is nice. Um, we, were, we were reflecting on the fact that the closer you get to baseball, as in, like, physical distance, the slower the game appears to be. Yeah. And partially that was because we were seeing some sort of AAA players, which were not necessarily like sure. moving at the speed of sound that I think <laughs> some of the major major leagues players are. But when you're sitting there watching, you know, four yards away, right. which we were for a little while, in a situation where there was literally nothing um, keeping, you know, that that, that it, you were basically standing in with the batter mm-hmm. as far as visual <clears throat> acuity goes. The game appears more feasible yeah. somehow. It's really interesting. You know, you 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 watch the games on TV, um, and especially if you're somebody who played as a kid or maybe even through high school or college or whatever, you know, you have a memory of the speed of a baseball game and what it feels like to be on the field. And then you watch pro baseball on television, and it appears that it's moving you know, two orders of magnitude faster. Like at some point between when you stopped playing and uh, when these guys got to the major leagues, all of a sudden the fastballs went up to the speed of light and that there's a difference, but a 91-mile-an-hour fastball is basically invisible compared to the 72, 74-mile-an-hour fastballs you were maybe seeing in high school. Uh, And similarly with, like, a third baseman making a throw over to first base. Uh, When you watch Manny Machado do it, and maybe he's a bad example because he's obviously elite, um... But you watch a third baseman or a shortstop make that long throw across the diamond on television, and it seems like it's incredibly far for them to make that throw. You can't imagine how it would possibly get there and before looks, the base runner. It looks almost inhumanly fluid, yeah. like you're watching a professional dancer somehow. And when you're watching it in person, it's much more clear that this it, this sounds more simple than I think it is, but it, it makes it really clear that you're just watching a person. You're just watching a person do something that they've done many, many times over. And they have a fluidity with it, but you can also see their body working. You can see the kind of familiarity in the limbs. And you can see the physical effort that they're having to go through. You can see the muscles straining. You can see them focusing very intently on the ball. You can see them maybe hurrying a little bit to make sure it gets there in time. And there's more recognizable human cues uh, that get lost, I think in the experience of watching it on television. What's interesting about it, I think, 
is that you what you get an appreciation for is not even so much just the the physical prowess of these guys, but the amount of very small sequential decisions that they're having to make in real time. And this was uh, became really clear to me, actually, uh, being able to sit so close to home plate and watching Nick Markakis hit. Um, because you can see with Markakis, on a moment-to-moment basis, just from the way he holds the bat, strides, and moves his hands as the pitch comes in, you can watch him deciding whether or not to swing. And then, as he decides to swing, you can watch him decide, okay, I think this one's going to be outside. I need to try to take it the other way. This is in on my hands. I need to try to yank it foul. Um, You can see the the little adjustments that he's making uh, based on the way that the pitch comes in. Um, And the the appreciation for for the ability to do that uh, in the, whatever it is, 0.4 seconds, I think, that it takes a, a major league pitch to get to home plate on average, it's just, it's really fun to see. Yeah, and it, I, I, I also enjoyed watching it, and I just um, came away feeling once again that, um, you know, that these folks are not necessarily um, different species from me. They're just very, very practiced. Yes. And it was an interesting thing to see. All right, folks. Well, we have arrived at a building called the Revo, which purportedly contains one Charlie Hoppus of the Orioles Spastics podcast, which, because we haven't mentioned it yet, we should say is, well, Alan correctly identified the Orioles Spastics as one of our sister-wife podcasts. But in case you don't know at this point, which I find hard to believe, (laughs) what we mean when we say that is that we are a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network with the Orioles Spastics and the broader extended family of Baltimore Orioles-themed programming. And you should go over to baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and find them all because Section 336 was here at spring training last week, recorded some great stuff while they were here. The Spastics are in the house, and, uh, you know, we're here too. That's the kind of content that the Baltimore Sports Report is bringing you, live from spring training. So check it out. All right, morons. Uh, it is hours after we last paused the recorder. And in that time, we have watched the Orioles fall to a crushing defeat at the hands of the Toronto Blue Jays in Dunedin, Florida. In extra innings. Extra innings, a rare sighting down spring training way. Orioles got a, uh, a home run from who now? Dariel Alvarez. <laughs> ah, Mr. Alvarez. That's a, of course, of course. Now, the main thing to note here is that uh, things were looking a little helpless because obviously we had uh, the starting lineup of the Bowie Bay Sox in at this point. <laughs> um, and uh, the the team, we were tied, and it was the 10th inning, and we knew we needed to get a run. Uh, how, how are we going to get out of this? Well, just at the moment where things seemed bleakest, an ocean bird came soaring over the uh, the seats down the third base line where we were sitting and deposited some excrement into the purse of uh, Liz 
Dean from the Oriole Spastic's wife, who had earlier that day had her suitcase lost by the airline and was carrying in the purse literally the only clothes <laughs> that she has. So it was a direct hit, uh, poop purse, and as we were all celebrating slash mourning such an event, uh, it was a frozen rope <laughs> over the left field line. Yep. Daryl Alvarez turning on the first pitch and sending it about 350 feet. Yeah, he smacked the hell out of it. Yep. Then, of course, the uh, the Orioles defenders could not quite keep it together in the bottom of the tenth, and we lost. No, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of goon parade actions going on. Um, the the it was an interesting part about spring training actually because the game ended with a bouncing ball. There were runners on first and second. A slow hit bouncing ball to Buck Britton at second base. The base runners had started before the pitch. So, uh, I forget who it was running because he is a member of the <laughs> uh, Blue Jays D squad, but uh, he was flying around second base by the time the ball got to Britain. So, uh, Britain decided to make the play to first base, but then he kept going around third base, and Michael Almanzar tried to adjust and throw home, but could not do it in time, and the winning run scored. It's also worth noting that the tying run scored in the bottom of the ninth with a frozen rope single off the bat of none other than noted Oriole killer <laughs> Muninori goddamn Kawasaki. We are keeping that man in the major leagues, I swear to God. It's true. It's true. It was not, not runs. The Blue Jays scored three runs on 15 hits. <laughs> or four runs on 15 hits, excuse me. Yeah. Um, a lot of singles. We were uh, solid three runs on nine hits, I believe. Yep. I Actually, you know what? I would say the, the thing that was nice to take away from that game was uh, the, you know, earlier in the show we were talking about um, Jonathan Scope being a little overeager on the off-speed pitches. Yeah. Um, and it looks to me like Ryan Flaherty is doing his damnedest to take a little bit more of a mature approach at the plate now. And we saw him take a walk early in the game, and uh, we saw him try to take the ball the other way. Uh, and then we saw him lace a double into the right center field gap. So right now, it seems like, and this is really a race to the bottom, but uh, <laughs> Ryan Flaherty has a little bit better plate discipline than Jonathan Scope. Also, which, as, as I am every year, I am solidly on Team Steve. Team Steve! <laughs> In this case, I'm talking of Steve Clevenger, who was 3-for-3 three three again today. Yep. And is just hitting the ball all over the park. Yep. He had, he had a, a bit of a base running boo-boo. That's okay. But uh, he made up for it with the bat. That's okay. So, <laughs> thus, uh, thus concludes our spring training special edition. Yes, we're currently Thank you for tuning in. Uh, because the game went into extra innings, we're currently hauling ass on 48 East. I've, just, I've ceased <laughs> trying to figure out what direction the road we're going is. I don't know where we are. We're, we're somehow hoping to make it to Sarasota Bradenton International Airport before my plane leaves. So with that, we bid you a fond adieu. We thank you for turning in. T- tuning in? Turning you're, in. You're probably going to turn in after this because you're exhausted. <laughs> by all. As we are from all of this sitting in the sun and drinking beer. <laughs> uh, and we'll be back with a normal episode next week. Stay strong, morons. Uh, what do you call Henry Arudia, Sam, when he is trying to make the big league club but keeps swinging wildly at breaking balls in the dirt? Henry, go! What am I going to do, Rudia? No? That's great. Okay. All right. Let's stop there. Well, I told you so. Now it's time to go. Got to get my show on the road. Just stop.
Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.